Hello and welcome to the Rules of Acquisition Remix. I'm your host, Hugh Crawford. I am one third of the Kickers of Elves. Uh, today we are going to talk about If Wishes Were Horses, which uh, the podcast episode dropped on May 16th, 2016. So here we go, talking about Rumpelstiltskin <laughs> and uh, dead baseball players and fictional Trace baseball Speaker players. has a lifetime batting average of 345. Oh, yeah. Hope you enjoy. The story of Rumpelstiltskin is over 4,000 years old. Oh, yeah. This is all more interesting than this episode. Oh, yeah. It's time for the rules of acquisition. Hello and welcome to the Rules of Acquisition. Uh, you know the drill. This is a podcast where we will be going through every single episode of Star Trek Deep Space Nine, episode by episode. Right now we're talking about, what is this, like the 14th, 15th episode? Yeah. Yeah, 15th episode. Yeah, but before I get there, jumping ahead with me as always is James Nolan. Hey guys. And Hugh Crawford. Hello gentlemen. And yeah, we're talking about Beggars Will Ride. Is that the name of this <laughs> no. So this one is called uh, If Wishes Were Horses. Oh, right. And it originally aired May 16th, 1993. And uh, just real quick, the IMDb description is, while Dax investigates an unusual energy reading near DS9 to see if it's dangerous for the station, people's imaginations suddenly come alive, causing chaos. And that's exactly <laughs> what happens. This starts Our, with the auspicious beginning of having like a ton of writers. And there's a reason for that. Yes. Oh, yeah. That, that's always a good sign, right? <laughs> Nothing to fix here. But uh, there's a reason for it, I guess, is that it was written by uh, Crawford and Crawford, which I guess is two brothers, Neil McHugh Crawford and William Crawford, put in the screenplay after working it through the writer's room. And then it had to be last minute rewritten by My uh, Michael Piller for reasons we'll get into later, I'm sure. Okay, yeah. Why is it that there's always a standard screenplay and then like, oh, just bring Pillar in to fix it. Like they did that way back with The Man Alone, which he was less than successful with. Okay, so with this one, okay, so Rumpelstiltskin is prominently featured in this. Oh, God, yeah, right. Yeah. That was not in the original Crawford Brothers script. <laughs> oh, so Pillar fixed it by bringing in Rumpelstiltskin. Okay, I, all right. It was originally completely based around leprechauns. Oh, okay. Oh, I can see how that could have been worse. And O'Brien refused to shoot it. <laughs> this is it. Cole Meaty said, leprechauns are offensive to Irish people. Fuck you, I'm not doing it. Do you know how many Irish actors just dread having to do some leprechaun shit? <laughs> and so he said, rewrite it. And they were like, well, the whole plot is based around the, what the leprechaun does. And he was like, don't care. Fuck you. <laughs> were they pulling some like Doctor Who stuff where all the leprechauns are actually aliens <laughs> that visit people? I, have, I guess. I have no idea. Yeah, that's exactly what happened. I just know like Sunday night, Michael Piller had to like run into the, the office to like start banging out a totally different script for shooting that week. <laughs> you know what's weird, though, is that I all, actually, when I was watching Rumpelstiltskin interact with O'Brien and his family, I felt like it was coded. <laughs> you know yes. how things are coded? I thought it was coded for Leprechaun. Maybe it was. I picked up a Leprechaun even though he wasn't actually a Leprechaun. Well, everything he said was like Irish based too. We had a farmer in Derry once, you know, and there was all this stuff. And I was like, is Rumpelstiltskin Irish? He's not. It's not an Irish fairy tale, is it? Right. I don't think so. No. 
I think it's like a German typical Grimm's fairy tale. And I was like, yeah, I did wonder like, oh, if he's a dwarf, he's a dwarf. Why do we have the pointy oafish ears? Oh, because they, they're trying to telegraph a leprechaun in there without pissing off cold. <laughs> <laughs> but I think there was a sto- I think the stolen girl aspect of it, like he's stealing uh, his baby. Molly, Molly, the firstborn. Molly O'Brien, Molly, uh, stealing Molly. I think that was like a more prominent leprechaun storyline in that one. Yeah. And so that all had to be. I mean, that's Rumpelstiltskin-y too, right? Yeah, that is. You're right. I don't I don't I don't know. I'm stealing a baby. That's what that's what Rumpelstiltskin's all about. Right. Stealing babies. Yeah. On things that I was reading, Michael Piller made it sound like it was difficult. <laughs> well, I, I believe yeah. it because, well, this is a little a little uneven, I think. Is an yeah. <laughs> Guys, I hated this episode. <laughs> this episode. <laughs> I think this is the episode I hate the most. That is a respectable opinion. Wow. I disagree with it. I still think Move Along Home is. <laughs> Move Along Home is hard to be an awfulness. I was trying to think, like, if, if somebody on this podcast said this was the worst episode ever, how would I defend against it? And I was like, I don't think I can. No, this is everything that I hate about Star Trek. Yes. Okay, we had aliens with really no motivation. We had probably in the middle of Act 2... Just 15 minutes of solid techno babble that had nothing to do with anything. <laughs> it was the longest unbroken string of techno babble in my memory of Star Trek. Yeah, it's complete garbage. This is everything. When people think about Star Trek, they think of this shit. Mm-hmm. The layperson who has no interaction but was, you know, just home on a Tuesday afternoon and it was in syndication. They are flipping through and this is the thing that popped up. This is what they think of. You know what I mean? This is this episode is what we're fighting against, I guess. <laughs> what do you mean? This episode is all about imagination. Imagination. <laughs> well, it starts with my least favorite way that a show could ever start and it ends with my least favorite line to end an episode. With. It starts with, boy, it sure is slow around here. Oh, God. <laughs> like, why am I supposed to want to put myself into this world, into this sleepy, right. communistic looking, brutal Soviet world? Why am I supposed to want to join and be in this place? Well, I liked the opening scene where Odo is like, oh, my God, you're letting Jake in there to have sex with the hologram. What are you doing, Quark? <laughs> that was funny. OK, right. That was that was funny. Yeah. No, actually, that was actually the highlight of the episode for me. This is the first time on DS9 where they acknowledge that the Holosuites can be used for something other than porn. Yeah. As far as Odo and Quark are concerned, that's what they're for. Right. Until Quark decides he's going to go new Las Vegas and make it family oriented. <laughs> I did think that was a little bit of like Times Square commentary there. Oh, yeah. So it starts off like that. And I was like, what if Deep Space Nine, and I've made this comparison in podcasts before, and I don't just love Aaron Sorkin, but I think he understands television mechanics really well. Like, you know, in the West Wing, when an episode starts off and everybody's like, running their ass off and everything's like or like anytime like in a newspaper setting on a television everything's really fast and exciting and kinetic that could be like i know that's not star trekky but deep space nine could feel like that Mm -hmm. and then you could be like these people are working at like a really important area definitely and so when like Stiltskin comes to fuck up the ship it seems like they're gonna fuck up like a lot of people by the end of this episode it looks like the whole thing is gonna inconvenience like 10 people tops (laughs) like right yeah on ds9 when things get busy it's just people going 
O'Brien, come here and fix that. <laughs> hey, O'Brien, go over there. Yeah. Hey, O'Brien. And then they'll say something shitty about his wife for some reason. Because yeah. everyone hates Keiko. Hey, man, not cool. I actually thought Keiko's response to Rumpelstiltskin was a little <laughs> understated. I'm surprised she did just lose her shit at the very side of him. Don't you guys think that was... Yeah. yeah, everything she did is understated in this. There is a creepy midget in my kid's bedroom. You're right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Okay. No, I... I just expected her to scream or or just cry or like shake uncontrolled. I don't know. I just, I didn't buy it. Yeah, it's not a very motherly response to like a weird thing. Entity. Yeah. Showing up in your daughter's mm-hmm. bedroom. In your daughter's bedroom. Yeah, it was super creepy. Yeah, it was. Yeah. I will say everybody's shitty to Keiko, even her daughter. <laughs> like, I'm not O'Brien reads him for a bedside story and she's like, oh, goodbye, daddy. And then her mom comes in, kisses her and she's like, ew, get out of here. It's like, man, the writers are just really shitty to her on every level. Everybody hates Keiko. She is totally, yes. It, it, <laughs> right. No, it, it is bothersome to me. God. So what happened? Okay. So like three people, but also like everybody in the world, but specifically three people have like a fantasy. Right. So you have Rumpelstiltskin played by, uh, I forget the actor's name, but the man from another place on Start and Twin Peaks. Yeah. Yeah. I was like, man, they're wasted. Michael J. Anderson. It made me think of uh, that scene in Living in Oblivion where Peter Dinklage is just in a little elf outfit and he gives this amazing monologue about like, oh, fuck you. Oh, you want to make it weird? Put a dwarf in it. <laughs> you put a dream sequence, put a dwarf in it. It's like, fuck you. It just just like made me yeah. think of that when I saw the makeup they put him in. He, I guess he was probably the first uh, put a dwarf in it in Twin Peaks because I can't I think that sort of started that, right? Yeah. Yeah, I guess so. I mean, you have, you have like, obviously you have The Wizard of Oz. Right. Twin Peaks kind of surpasses that just by being good. Yeah. And maybe the exorcist from Poltergeist. Oh, yeah. Yeah. That woman was. Yeah. She's creepy. Yeah. Yeah. To a similar effect. And she was, I think, a dwarf or. Yeah. I mean, she was kind of a tall dwarf, but nonetheless. uh, Right. Yeah. She's a little person. Yes. Okay, so we've got O'Brien and we've got Rumpelstiltskin and then we've got Julian and a version of Dax. <laughs> okay, do we, I want to deal with Julian in like a whole big chunk of like how they're dealing with Julian. <laughs> but also you, you have this third one who almost is the main one who delivers the monologue about their race at the end. You don't even see how he comes on board. Yeah, he just he shows up in the holodeck like he's normally there. Yeah. And then he just wanders out. Buck Bakai. Yeah, Buck Bakai. Of the London Kings because they play so much baseball in London, <laughs> which is like, okay, let me just, just wrap my head around this. Mm-hmm. And they wonder why nobody shows up anymore. Baseball is a dumb sport that nobody likes anymore except for Cisco that nobody's played in a hundred years. But yet Buck Bakai is lamenting that nobody cared even when he was playing. Yes. Yet somewhere... It got popular enough to jump across the pond <laughs> where they have a fucking major league team in London. I agree. That, that was totally weird. If baseball is going away, it's going. It's the foundations of it were going away in the 90s. As I was about to say, at this time in the 90s when is when they had the strike it's, and people were wondering. Yeah, it started dying out. The strike was in 1994. This is a year before that. But it was still like. Yeah. Well, there was build up that, to it. There was yeah. this idea that baseball was going. Well, away. you know, Toronto had just won. I mean, so you, you had an international team win the World Series. Towards being So I think maybe that's another nod. Also, you have uh, the three baseball players that Quark knows is Tris Speaker. 
Fred Williams and Buck Bacay. I get Buck Bacay because he's your fictional character you're going to build in the movie. Right. And Ted Williams is like a top three player of all time. Tris Speaker is kind of obscure for 1994. I mean, he's a great player, but he was a player in like the teens and the 20s. I don't know who that is. Yeah, but not really because they had just had Ken Burns baseball documentary. Everybody knew who watched that probably knew who Tris Speaker was. Yeah, but you're not if from that era, you would be dealing with Honus Wagner or Ty Cobb. You could deal with Mickey Mantle, Babe Ruth. You could pick. It just was weird to pick Tris Speaker. Michael Piller had his favorite. <laughs> <laughs> the Tris Speaker thing was irritating to me because he was like, a- listen, my thing is that if you're going to nitpick this episode, that that out of all your nitpicks, you started <laughs> way at the bottom of the list. <laughs> pick your battles, dude. But I think that it was like a tonally weird thing. And like everything about this episode was just weird and off-putting to me. And that was one of them. Keiko's response to the Stiltskin was weird to me. Okay, so yeah, I wasn't alone in that. And so everything in it was just so weird in particular that it was like, I don't know, it was awful. Yeah. Emus are actually something called a Gumji jab door. Yeah. <laughs> and I believe that Rumpelstiltskin was speaking in couplets. Mm. Yeah. I, he was rhyming oh a little bit. God. I spent a little bit of time trying to see if he was writing and speaking and rhyming couplets, which it seemed like half the time he was and half the time he wasn't. But even that added to it. <laughs> yeah. Pilar was on a timeline. He couldn't actually spend enough time to get it perfect. <laughs> this was just a bullshit episode. So... All right. I want to talk about Julian Bashir and the character of Julian Bashir. All right. Okay. This is the first time where they finally, well, they have the one characterization of him that he's a horn dog. Mm-hmm. They're finally, they're playing with it. Okay, fine. To where they're dealing with it enough that maybe they can finally surpass it and get over the damn thing. Not saying that they do very well in this episode with what they do, but at least they... Okay, so you're reading it as like a purge and not like a double damn. I, I would like it to be. Yeah. It, they doubled down. Hopefully, I can't remember because it's been so long since I watched all these. I'm crossing my fingers that they double down so that they can let it go now. <laughs> so he gets his Dax. Now, wait, I think it would have worked really well as a purge. Yeah. I think it really would have. I think you are actually like <laughs> troubleshooting the series at this point a lot better than they actually will troubleshoot it. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? I think that this would have been a fantastic way to work that out character wise. But I don't like I think you're hoping for too much there because there's not nothing at the end. Yeah, you're probably right. I'm sure that the next writer already has this character. It's like, oh, well, I know how to write Julian. He's horny for Dax. And so yeah. they're probably not going to drop it. Yeah. Yeah. But I can still hope. I haven't watched the next episode. The yet. interior, Cisco walks into, yeah. I mean, it's oh my god. If this was a modern character, he would be the villain of this show. He's got every trait of someone who's repulsive <laughs> yeah. and disgusting. You make us sit through this whole episode that's about Dax, realize that she is a large chunk of Julian Bashir's spank bank. <laughs> it's disgusting. It's like, it's absolutely disgusting. Right. And they don't know how to deal with it. And it was just dealt with as like played for laughs. And that this entire, it's so weird. And I know that he's uncomfortable. Yeah. But that's not right. Well, as much as we've been shitting on Julian this whole time we've been talking about this show, the writer's still think he's lovable and like that's what's most <laughs> offensive about it to me yeah it's like if you were watching let's say i mean because there's a lot of our whole thesis on this is that deep space nine was a sort of a precursor to some of the much more interesting shows that came at the end of the, the 90s and the and the early 2000s mm-hmm. and i was trying to think i was racking my brain of when is a character that's supposed to be lovable has given such characterizations that are so shitty and i can't christopher maltasanti Maybe from The Sopranos. Well, that's the other thing. It's funny because... That's pretty good. 
because you know by the Sopranos they're like we're gonna make you love this character who is nothing but awful yeah in the end they're not even trying to do the anti-hero thing they're trying to make you love this guy by making him shitty when they're totally oblivious to what they're doing well you're right but I would say Tony Soprano it's that his actions and his world view is morally evil but that him as a person is understandable like you know he's got oh no guys I got it I know who this guy is who this is Larry from Orange is the New Black. He, he's so bad that he got written out of the show. What? Oh, is he the American Pie guy? Yeah, <laughs> that's who it is. It's like you're <laughs> supposed to empathize with this guy. And then you every time he opens his mouth or he's, he's on screen, you just want to like shove him, uh-huh. <laughs> you know, down a flight of stairs. You know, he's so bad when he's on screen and he's supposed to be a sympathetic character. That's basically what, what Bashir is. Yeah, because on the surface, the character that I can think of that he mirrors closest is uh, Gaius Baltar from Baltar. Star Galactica. Because <laughs> he kind of looks like the guy? Because it's kind of confusing. <laughs> yeah, and it's written by Ronald D. Moore, who was a showrunner for the last parts of the show. Yeah, I used to get them confused. <laughs> They're very confusing. They're kind of the same actor. Mm-hmm. But it is very similar at this point. He's vain and egotistical about his scientific abilities. He thinks mostly with his dick. He is sniveling and kind of a pussy. Yeah, you're right. All of those traits. But Gaius Baltar is at no point portrayed as like a level guy. He is like the worst of the worst (laughs) on that show and you're stuck with him over and over again but you want like by the, I mean you want to see him from most of the series, you want to see him die and you want him to see him die horribly. But why don't they think that they're doing that to us with Bashir? What's going through their mind? I, I don't know. I don't know. I think they think they're doing a fine job, and that's what's <laughs> disturbing about it. I remember liking Julian Bashir when I was. <laughs> yes, they fix all this later, but it's here now. Kind of. But yeah, right now. Uh, they fix it later. He's almost a completely different character by season six. <laughs> season six or seven seasons. <laughs> Good point. He's still not a factor, though. I think in the whole run of, of Deep Space Nine, have we ever been like five minutes into an episode, realized it was about Julian, and went, oh, good, a Julian episode? Yeah, definitely. No, that never happened. Wait, season, season six? Is- when he's the most likable to me, it's a Julian O'Brien camaraderie thing. Julian O'Brien camaraderie, and specifically, and we can't deal with it because it's spoilers, but specifically, but we can say that when it's dealing with Section 31. Right, but I don't want to talk about much more than that. And the whole Section 31 storyline, I thought that was super interesting. Yeah, yeah, me too, me too. No, okay, I think you think that's a lot more interesting than I do. (laughs) I I can't wait till we get to that stuff. (laughs) Oh, okay. We'll have to shelve that for another day because I still think that's bullshit too. Like fundamentally bullshit? Because I I get you there, but it's interesting in the store. (laughs) I think it's... Like if you have higher... I feel like I'm usually the one defending the grand vision. Yeah, if you have grand vision qualms on it, I, I, I get and it. And how Section 31 kind of plays with that a lot. Okay, okay. Yeah, I think the Section 31 stuff is bullshit. Okay, I like Section 31. But anyway... Yeah, well, let's stay here. Back to this bullshit episode. At this point... <laughs> we won't talk about that as a spoiler. We'll talk about that in the context of those uh, those shitty J.J. Abrams movies, <laughs> right? Remember Section 31 from that? Yes. Right. But to root it in May 16th, 1993, what were they thinking? And then where they go from here is interesting to me. But I don't I can't get what they were thinking by this bullshit, awful human being of a character. I think, wasn't it a time 
in our cultural history where we were looking at people in popular culture, like we, it wasn't disclosure, a big movie at this time. We're like workplace interaction. We were trying to figure that out. And were they trying to like sexual harassment, women in the worst place? We had the Anita Hill saying we had disclosure, like sexual harassment in the workplace was. Yeah. Yeah. Are they trying to, do they think that they're. No, I think. Is that what they're thinking? Is that their angle? Like we're going to use Star Trek to examine what it's like when you're attracted, when you have a bone at the workplace yeah but she has his rank right i think i'll tell you what i think it is i think it's just hey it's star trek we have to have a hot alien she's our token hot alien how do we telegraph that she's our hot alien we have a character that's just lusting after her and oh we'll, we'll just do that with the sheer they're just like trying to fill in they're just trying to color in the lines of what they think people expect from star trek we have to have like she's not really a sex pot because they're smart enough now after dealing with next generation that we don't we're not going to put a woman in tight cleavage and just show her off as a sexual object like they did with Deanna Troy. Yeah, everybody's wearing pajamas up to their neck. But yeah. with this episode, <laughs> they got the opportunity to show that right. by having sex pot. But how do they show it? They have a guy drooling over Well, yeah, the- no, no, but they have the the, the fictional Dax, the imagination Dax. Oh, right, right, right. Who's horny and calls real Dax a cold fish. Yeah, yeah. It's fucking annoying. Yeah. Right. And then I, I will actually, I'll give the crew at DS9 some props for not putting her in, her in the slutty outfit. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And then just wag my finger a little bit at Voyager later down the line when they get to the... Borg's the uh, seven of nine Borg, stuff. Yeah, but whatever. Okay, so do you think that they're trying to make Bashir Dax the Riker Troy of the show? Oh, like, maybe. Are we supposed to want them to fuck? Maybe we're <sighs> supposed to want to, but they're doing... I don't know. I don't think so. I think they're trying to put a spin on the Riker Troy. So I'm making it unrequited. I don't know. Oh, okay. Where it's not just stalkery and pathetic and weird. Okay, let's let's break it apart. Okay, in when she's starting talking, he's telling her that she just has to fuck him because he can't get over. Yeah. And it's really a messing with him. She just has to fuck. Oh, right. He never says love or anything like that. Oh, man, I forgot. Yeah, he's like, oh, I just can't take it. It's like some asshole talking about blue balls or something. Like, you go to it's like, come on, man. Just don't be it. And then she was like, well, you fucked the girl last week. And he was like, but that wasn't good enough. Right. And then she was like, you really fucked a girl two weeks ago. Right. He's like, that's super not good enough. And then you fucked his road. That was almost good enough. <laughs> okay, dude. Or just stop. Just stop. Stop where you're at. Like, dude, how is this romantic? Yeah. Like, everything about it was like, it's the conversation from the worst person on earth. And I just felt nothing but pity for dads. <laughs> and it feels like this is like the fifth or sixth time in 15 episodes that they've sat down mm-hmm. at the replimat and had this exact conversation, too. Yes. Doesn't it feel like we've been here before? Yeah. But I felt like it was worse. So now you have to start saying, like, are they building? to something. No, they're just starting off at status quo every week and then some writers hammer on it harder than others and it's bad. And like I would just like for one minute take a break and show Dax's perspective on having to know. And this, you know, Star Trek shenanigans experience has brought her into a position to where she's having to work alongside the guy who's got a over-sexualized infantile fantasy of her in like corporeal form standing next to him. And that's right. That's a hard day at work. Eventually, she's like, hey, we all have fantasies. It's okay. Yes. And then it comes back in. She's like, all right, never mind. This is gross. Yeah. And the woman, <laughs> and then the, the, the corporeal sexualized fantasy of herself starts chastising her for not fucking Bashir. It's weird. <laughs> yeah. that, that's a bad day at work for Dags. Yeah. And at no point do I feel like the show showed that. Anyway. <laughs> 
No. No. Yeah. No, I think they it's a really shitty view of women. I think that's what we're, we're learning. She's like, hey, I, I used to be a horny young man myself one day. I get she it. She does say that. <laughs> and then she's like, okay, but enough is enough. And bless her heart for I mean, that's nice of her to say that, but that doesn't, you know, that doesn't change the fact that that was going. Yeah, it doesn't excuse uh, anything. Why did they let her on the, anyway. Okay, that was my whole sort of conversation I wanted to have. <laughs> yeah, I think we're agreed. Well, we also need to mention that early in the episode, Quark mm. makes a dig at Odo for not having an imagination. And it turns out later, mm. Quark finds himself in prison somehow, and that's a manifestation of Odo's... Well, it's an imaginary Quark. Odo's creating a... Oh, okay. It's an imaginary Quark, and Odo's awfully pleased at himself. It's like a small victory that he has an imagination. All the aliens on Deep Space Nine end up having a manifestation of their imagination. Mm -hmm. Right. And at the end, Cisco's talking. Spoilers, they're all just aliens of the week again. They're not. Yeah, Cisco's talking to, talking to the alien of the week, and the alien of the week is talking about humanity's imagination. Never mind <laughs> all like yes. the other 50 aliens and their imaginations. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. It seemed... Like humans are a minority on this in this place. Yeah. Yeah. So it seemed that seems awfully weird and awkward and ham fisted. Yes, it was ham fisted. It was ham fisted as fuck. And probably one of the best character actors. I don't know that guy's name either, but that guy's a great little actor. Yeah. He's on tons of Star Trek stuff and other things. The Buck Bakai. Keone Young is his name. But yeah, he's he's a great actor. And like I would have liked to have seen him play less stupid crap in this episode. Yeah. 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 He gets to come back as Buck Bakai when they do the mm -hmm. baseball episode, right? He makes a couple Buck Bakai, I think, appearances. Yeah. 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 And then he's uh I believe he's I'm going through Enterprise and watching it right now, and he's on an episode of Enterprise. Yeah, he's not as Buck Bakai, but Okay. So yeah, basically the three, the aliens embody whatever the person imagines their most, like what's at the heart of them. Like mm -hmm. O'Brien, it's his daughter. He's got this, he'll imagine like the horror if someone's taking his daughter away. That's awful. <laughs> the thing that Julian thinks about the most is fucking Dax. Okay, gross. And then yeah. we Buck Bakai is okay. They're in the baseball, whatever. Uh, Kira has the one little episode, the thing that she imagines the most is just like probably the trauma of her growing up or just being part of the resistance. So she goes through and wanders into the pylon and thinks that it's on fire and everybody's dying because mm -hmm. she's probably seen that before. That's fucked her up. Oh, just two ladies. Quark. I like Quark's best. Yeah. I, where it's just like two ladies. I like that. It's it, the most predictable. Yeah, yeah. Whereas it's gross with Bashir because we know, <laughs> I don't know, it didn't bother me as much with Quark. Which no, it's gross with Bashir because we're supposed to like Bashir. Quark is supposed to have unsavory elements to his personality. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah, yeah, he's scummy. And, you you know, he is an antihero and he is rakish and all of those things and cheeky or whatever weird words. He's supposed to be scum. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Even Odo says something to him like, you're disgusting or you're a perv. And he's like, that's right, always. <laughs> or something. Yeah, so like, that's fine. That That's within the character. But the show's weird insistence that we like whatever character they're giving Bashir is just strange to me. Yeah, it's strange. It doesn't work. It's strange to the writers because they can't make it work. And, and we know for a fact later on they scrap that completely. So, okay. So, uh... No, I'm, I'm going to save this from later. Oh, and, and Jake has a manifest. Jake imagines his father, too. That was weird. Oh, right, he was trying right. to figure out how to sneak around behind his back. That scene stuck out like a sword. Like, that scene didn't really fit. Okay, because Bug Bakai is used throughout the show as a conversation piece for Cisco, But it's really Jake's 
manifestation. Right. I have no clue. But then later, Buck Pekai says, mine, I'm really making a connection with when they're talking about, yeah. why yeah. is my human like being a dick and just trying to have sex with, and then not having sex with me? You're right. Well, that's the one redeeming thing Julian has where- He didn't just like take the opportunity. He's like, hey, this isn't right, whatever. But then he's like, it is. He was going to until he gets called out by the summons. He gets called to the principal's office and, yeah. and he thinks it's a joke. When they're like, oh, senior officers at the promenade. Yeah, so his mo- it, his feeling about it isn't even consistent throughout the episode then, is it? Well, when he was going to fuck her in the first, I don't think he knew she was an imagination. I think he thought, I think he thought like Dax's pond far came upon her or something. Right. And <laughs> Right, well, which that really grossed me out too. He's yeah. like, are you sick? Are you? Am I hallucinating? <laughs> oh, you must be sick. And then he's like, wait a minute, I don't care. I should just go with it. And like, oh man, no, 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 no. That's some good doctor ethics you have there. <laughs> yeah. And then Cisco calls him to the principal's office yeah. and then he thinks that she's playing like a mean joke on him. Oh, okay. Yeah. Um, one little small thing. Everybody in Quark's bar is imagining that they're winning at the Dabo table. Dabo table. Yep. I noticed that, and this has probably been true in every episode and I've never noticed it or thought about it, but it hit me this episode. There's a lot of Starfleet officers standing around the Dabo table. Isn't it strange that the Starfleet lets you gamble while in uniform? Yeah. Yeah. Oh, I never even thought about that. Yeah, in uniforms, crazy. Uh-huh. I thought they were supposed to be above this in the Federation. <laughs> they don't have their post-scarcity. They don't have money. Yeah, what's the Starfleet officer going to do with gold plus latinum? So I don't really... Well... He's going to spend it on the hollow suites. Oh, yeah. Because Quark doesn't take Federation currency. So he's going to go to the brothel, I guess. So there you go. Okay, so he's been on porn, just like normal soldiers. Um, okay, so I just noticed that and I was like, those that table is all filled with rabble, crazed Starfleet officers. And it was just strange to me. There's some Bajorans in there, too, isn't there? Yeah, but the Bajorans again. I don't know. I'm not here to judge Bajorans. They're not my people. <laughs> right. <laughs> but like Starfleet's my people. I don't, you know. Word. Right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah way, way to stay in your lane. I appreciate that. Yeah, that's very prime directive of you. You're not going to criticize other cultures. <laughs> yeah, it just it, it was very strange to me. Uh, good God. Um, an endless techno babble brings us to like everybody's looking at this giant blue vagina in space. <laughs> and then it turns out that even the blue vagina is a part of their imagination. Cisco figures that out. Right. After 15 minutes of techno babble, we have to sit there and watch some troubleshoot some bullshit it was endless it was it was the most frustrating session of techno babble yeah it was it was this episode is and i i went on another podcast before and i talked about how just how kind of sleepy it the show is and it's like it never engages you it doesn't never like hooks you there'll be whole episodes that go by without doing a hook to hook you in the best episodes don't you know have those things Mm -hmm. but the worst episodes babble was one of them move along home went into more interesting badness yeah yeah but let's say Babel and this episode just do that they like i don't know it's like they're just going through the damn motions of making yeah this this was paint by the numbers star trek yeah you, what you have you have the alien of the week come in it's some sort of you know non-corporal being and it's just there to look around cause weird shit that bugged me because they wait till the last minute to pull the rug out from under you oh it's just another alien of the week yeah and that's just the, they're just trying to they just come in they cause chaos and then they say you're really interesting and then leave mm-hmm. that's that's the worst star trek yeah oh and they, but they always throw in a 
maybe we'll see you again sometime. Yeah. Right. And it never happens. It never happens. It's like, uh, what's that Simpsons episode? The, the Mer- Sherry Bobbins. It's like, I bet we'll see her again. And then she just flies off and gets sucked into a jet plane. Oh. It's like every Alien of the Week we've had. Yes. We'll definitely see her again. And then, so, so the whole thing ends with my least favorite line in television ever, which is, Looks like things are back to normal. Right. Why did you have this fucking episode then? Maybe next year. Right. Like, you know, I get it. I We get it. That they're alien of the week. You got to have stasis, inject television show into stasis, you know, and then at the end, stasis is resumed. But that is like you make this situation that is by its inherent nature, not building towards anything. It doesn't make you invested in the characters. You know, by the very nature of saying everything's back to normal, no decision that these characters made in this episode will have lasting impact on these characters tomorrow, next week, at any other point. And so these are just nothing episodes. And that would be fine if this was Twilight Zone good. Yeah. Or even like, you know, original series at its best, but it's not. <laughs> no, not even close. No. So this show need to be serialized. This show needs to, to show if you have this crappy show or this crappy episode. But I learned something that was not awful about Bashir. I mean, I learned stuff about Bashir in this episode. There were all the wrong things. Right. Well, that's that's what I was saying. My hope for this show is like, OK, it would be nice if they would take this opportunity to exhaust mm-hmm. Bashir as a gross lech yeah. and just move on. But they probably don't. You're there right. There is one lasting thing from this episode, is, and uh, and it's used well throughout the whole show, through the rest of the series, which is Buck Bakai's baseball. This is the origin of Buck Bakai's, or, you know, of Cisco's baseball on his desk. Oh, yeah. Oh, no joke. Nope. Oh, he didn't have a baseball he didn't before? He have it before, huh? Buck Bakai threw him the baseball, and this is the last so Oh, that's If a- you want us the one good thing, the one, the pearl of this episode, is that oh my god i can't believe i could swear there was an episode where they just cut to him in his room where they don't know what to do and they're like just give him some business where he's just throwing a ball in the air i I checked it out huh okay i I mean you might be right but i mean i this is the first time i remember seeing it and then i went and checked it that it is the first according to memory alpha this is the first occurrence of that ball huh well he might have a ball because he has a baseball in the pilot episode an emissary, doesn't he? I mean, you seem, I don't know. I mean, hes he handles a baseball gruffly because he's dealing with baseball. I don't know. Maybe not. Maybe you're right, but... I'm sure this is the first book, the Kai ball. And the, where the worm, you know, because you see the holodeck and the wormhole aliens take him to baseball game. Right. They deal with the fact he's a baseball fan. Yeah. Okay. I thought maybe, well, it's, I haven't rewatched it, but I thought when he's arranging his desk, he like puts a baseball uh, on the table and yeah. like a thing. But maybe not. I mean, if, hey, if, if this is the one contribution this episode has, I'll take it. Yeah. Don't, don't take the one thing away. <laughs> Did anybody notice that long, somebody in this got real excited about their camera work here where they have just a long tracking shot where it's one take of Cisco walking along the promenade and then he talks to Buck Bakai and then they go downstairs. I did notice that. I noticed that too. But it sucks because they can't mic it right. So they just, it looks like they recorded all the dialogue in ADR and they're yes. like telegraphing. Like, it was an awful ADR like scene. Like pointing really closely to everything at the end of it. I just wanted to point that out. Hey, that was a good shot, except the ADR is so mm-hmm. bad on it. Yeah. So guys, what do you think? What do you think this rates on IMDb? Oh, out of five five hundred and seventy votes, I bet it's not as bad as we say it is. I bet it's not as bad. I bet, I it's, bet it's a six, six, six five. 
It's 6.4, guys. You're right. I think it seems to be not as hated as, as we hate it. <laughs> Damn. <laughs> I think, and I don't know why. I don't well, understand that. Yeah. So I was inured to it when we came, when I watched it. I was like, okay, I think I, I hey, I, I think I can live with this. But you're right. All the points you've made are, yeah, I mean, I are not wrong. And yeah. I think this is the worst one. I, Move Along Home had a factor of camp and fun to it. I mean, <laughs> or that made it more watchable than this. <laughs> I don't know, man. <laughs> I, yeah, I, I don't know. It's rough. I think it's this, Move Along Home, and then Babel definitely. as far as the bottom three. Yeah, definitely Babel. Remember when we started this off and we thought A Man Alone would be the worst episode we would do it? A Man Alone was going to be, yeah. I think I said, you sure you guys? I don't know. I think there's worse ones. And you're like, no, no, no. This is the worst Man Alone. Okay. <laughs> I'm, I stand vindicated. I'm interested to see because we're almost at the end of the first season and every show has a especially a show that's not working. Yeah. And I can't imagine anyone involved in this thinks this is working involves like a like a main retool. And I, we know that they retooled it at some point. So it's not that's not a mystery. The show is heavily retooled over a course of time. Oh, yeah. Oh, but yeah. like what do they choose to retool is interesting to me is what do they immediately regard as their problems for the show? What is like, you know, the f- whatever the bottom of the base necessary needs of like what is their what is the first thing that they find awful? And yeah. I'm interested once we get through the season and we have a three more episodes left, four more episodes. I think four. Yeah, we have four more episodes left and then we'll start season two. I'm interested to see how drastically those changes come. Yeah, because they do the thing where they carry over the season premiere is usually a continuation of a cliffhanger from the last season. Yeah. So it's cur- I'm curious to where they do the retooling, if they have like a mid-season break or what, how it'll work. I don't know because I haven't looked in. Usually the retooling comes like, I don't know, like the hardest one, I, I'm just, just because I'm watching it lately, on Enterprise, the first season ends in a two-parter that I'm not going to go into, but it's like, you know, the first part is the end of the season uh-huh. and season two starts the second one. And then at the end of it, they like kind of finish the whole storyline a little early. And then they finish like 15 minutes of the first episode. Just kind of like, wonder what the next season's going to be like. Yeah. <laughs> That's the, I, I just watched that episode. Oh, did you? Okay. It was weird, too. It I noticed was weird. That too. And you were just like, just end the season on this episode. Yeah. I, I don't know how I feel about that. <laughs> yeah. But whatever. So, guys. So what would we change? Because I got I got to I'm loaded on this. So. Yeah, I thought it's time to go there, huh? Have you ever went first on this way? <laughs> Maybe. I don't know. I can't remember. But I'll go ahead and start. I don't know, man. There's so much to change. I'll <laughs> say some other things I hate about this episode. Okay. It's another fucking alien of the week. Yeah. I mean, we've pretty much, it's talking about it. We've established it's just that they're just aliens. But they're not even, they're not original aliens in any way. They're, we followed somebody through the worm. They could just as easily be wormhole aliens, like the prophets. Because mm-hmm. they, they decide what they look like by reading the minds of whoever they're talking to. That's like the wormhole aliens. And... And the problem of the episode is the same problem that the wormhole aliens have, that they, they don't understand imagination. So that's what they're investigating. The same way the wormhole aliens didn't understand linear time, oh. these aliens don't understand imagination. So you're saying that, like, okay, instead of it being another episode, it could be the the prophets having this puck-like capriciousness to fuck with Deep Space Nine. Yeah, I mean, you could at least make them... It would be take a more retooling. But if you have just aliens that go and just decide what they look like by reading the minds of people, why not tie the wormhole aliens into that? 
And another thing they say, oh, these aliens are just travelers through the universe. You know, we're just like you, except if they were talking to any other Star Trek series, they'd be just like them. Mm -hmm. But in this series so far, they don't go anywhere. So they're not travelers. They're waiting for travelers to come to them. Uh Uh, And we followed one of your... So these are aliens that live somewhere in the Gamma Quadrant that just followed somebody through the wormhole, like every other alien of the week, which... I would have tied it into it. I would have made them somehow related to the prophets a little bit. And that way you could make it a bigger deal to tie into the whole rest of the series instead of just being a dumb one-off episode. And I'd make them like curious a little bit venturing out. But then I see why they didn't do that because they don't want to confuse what the prophets are, I guess, with these dumb aliens. (laughs) Yes. But it just felt too similar to get a pass. Yeah. And then you couldn't say at the end of the episode, everything's back to normal. No, because you're still going to deal with these fuckers all the time because they're like right there. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And then you would have had to bring Bajor into it. So there's a whole Bajoran politics thing if the prophets have come in and and that complicates things. And they probably at this time, they would probably have thought that that's too intense for the viewers. You know, the viewers aren't nerd. It's not like now where you can have like a George R. R. Martin book where they have all these little nitpicky things that people <laughs> have to pay attention to, especially in 1993. If they were like, oh, well, we should tie it in. These are similar to the wormhole aliens. Let's do it that. Okay, if we do that, we have to make them uh, tie it into the Bajorans. Oh, wait, whoa, 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 whoa. We're just doing a episode of the week alien here. Right. Let's not make this more complicated than we need to. Yeah. But yeah, that's what I would. Do. I like all of that. I think that that's all. I mean, I think that that's a fix for. Yeah. I mean, even at the end, but Bakai says, maybe next year, like, we'll see you next season, basically. <laughs> right. No, you assholes don't do this to me yeah yes but yeah that's what i would have done oh odo even says at one point when he's chasing emus around <laughs> that he's chasing emu Gugi, jab doors something else incarnations of the prophets okay that's interesting what the hell does an incarnation of the prophet look like because we have no idea because as far as we know only cisco is the one that has had oh yeah. direct communication with oh him. you're right but that's a one-off line that Somebody just saw in the show Bible something about prophets, so they just threw a one-off line to Odo. But that actually raises a whole lot of questions. If Bajorans have incarnations of the prophets that they're imagining. Like physical, corporeal, the way Christians have Jesus. Yeah, yeah. Like if there was... Oh, that's interesting, yeah. You're right, man. That's a one-off line. Nobody thought about that. Yeah. No one's really giving any attention to the religion at this point. No. Or Bajor or or really anything at all on the show. Yeah. We had a Bajor episode last episode with Progress, which I really liked. Yeah, no, no, no. No, no, no. It was a good episode. We've had a... Yeah, shit. I forget that episode. No. That was the one with Brian Keith. You didn't like Brian Keith very much. No, I know. But it didn't deal with the religion. It just dealt with the character of Bajor. No, it didn't. Yeah, you're right. Bajorans. And it did two weeks before we kind of had a... uh, thing with the prophets storyteller oh yeah it's got like a chunk of the prophets <laughs> makes like a thing yeah but it's a it's a welded on chunk from a discarded next generation script <laughs> yes but it seems like it was isolated to just this people group so yeah yeah no the thing that i would change the most about this episode is if you're gonna have a dr- show that goes into dreams their impulse was i guess uh, as as awful as it was was sort of correct with the whole Bashir thing, which is to use these images, these imagineerings to tell us something about the characters. Right. Yeah. I, I, I would even accept that Cisco has, why does Cisco have this attachment to baseball players? But I don't really know what 
I mean, they just talk about baseball. They don't talk about like baseball. I mean, there's a lot of me and Hugh. No, there's a great history of baseball as metaphor for life. Yeah. They didn't really do that. No, they kind of signaled that that's what it was. Like, this is what the beat characters imagine yeah. in their hearts. But it's not really done well. You're right. It seems like if you're you could do it better if you're going to name check Chris, Chris Speaker in this episode. Yeah. But that's fine. But like Rumpelstiltskin, what does that tell me about O'Brien? <laughs> He's afraid of someone taking his daughter. Who the fuck's not? Right. Like that could have easily been Cisco's afraid of somebody taking Jake. I mean, Jake's 15 year old boy, so he's not as likely to be like taken. And Molly's like a three year old girl. But like, I don't. Damn. Like, yeah, uh, which they've hardly mentioned. Yeah. So we have this these underdeveloped characters. Poor, we have poorly developed characters in Bashir and underdeveloped characters in Dax and Kira and shit, even really Odo, even though we spend a lot of time with him, we don't know like what makes Odo tick, except now we do. He likes to lock Quark up. <laughs> like, that's all we know, is he likes to put people in jail. Right. Not like he imagines a world free of justice, or that he wants to see, like, rights wronged. He just likes putting people in jail. Give me something. Get, what is Kara's dream? I don't know. I mean, her big thing was that she was scared of fire, but, like, the only one they did it with was the one that was awful which <laughs> is that Bashir is completely controlled by his dick <laughs> and, and him not being able to see the women who work around him as anything but people to fuck so like that's all that we learned about any character on this show for a bullshit for a show about imagination and a show about like what our yearnings are and how we imagine the future <laughs> that yeah for it was it was strangely lacking in imagination yeah. for a show about imagination yes. <laughs> and like I don't know what our character imaginations are about and I keep saying we've never seen Kira's struggle which I always imagine like when she talks about it but she never talks about it in specifics it's just vagueness I imagine it's like whatever John Connor it's like Rushmore it's like were you in the shit yeah I was in the shit <laughs> <laughs> that's yeah. what it was like with Kira that is such a great analogy yes you're right <laughs> Yeah, I think we got that in the last episode, though. She's like, she's on the establishment side now. Yes, I get all that. But her past and it sounds like I mean, I guess I want to see like at the beginning to all the Terminator movies like <laughs> boom, 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 and the big like honking like you see like what Michael Bean from from the first Terminator comes from. You have just this image of like, you know, people getting ground under by robots and helicopters and stuff like that. That's what I imagine the war for Scott the Skynet Wars are. I don't know what Cardassian Bajoran War looked like, and I don't know how that fucked her up. Other than she said, I'm fucked up, but I was in the shit. Like, you know, <laughs> it, like I don't know. <laughs> right. And this would have been a perfect opportunity to deal with that. Yeah. It, it cost a lot of money to get Cardassian makeup into an episode. Yeah. I don't know. <laughs> yeah. It, uh, that, Later, they'll, I think they'll deal with that a little you bit. You know what, though? You're probably right. It, yeah. I wonder how much of these decisions are being made on a, with a checkbook ledger. Are they just, do you think that they look at the budget and they're like, you know what, maybe if we just ask, you know, the guy who plays Garrick to sleep in his makeup for one night, <laughs> we can shoot this episode tomorrow. <laughs> right. Well, you have a, we have a noteworthy, I think we're two episodes away from a very noteworthy Cardassian episode. But it's one Cardassian and you're right. Like, I, you could just shoot all day and you don't have to take him in or out, you know. But yeah, I mean, those crowds 
scenes of Cardassians. You have to imagine that that's probably three hours to make up and two hours on, yeah. three, two hours off. That's five hours you have to pay them to not be on set. Right. That's why all the background aliens, well, it's either a black guy in a caveman wig. <laughs> yes. <laughs> or it's Tiny Lester in a caveman wig. Yeah. Or it's a full just mask they can just put on a guy like Morn. Yeah. You just know? a big rubber headpiece. Yeah. Yeah. That's a mascot outfit or a dumb wig. Yeah. Bajorans, it's like a little bit of dab up glue and silly putty. Yeah. Silly yeah. putty. Put the prosthetic prosthetic on. Yeah. No. Uh, so that's probably why they're not doing these things. But what a wasted fucking season at this point. You know, yeah, you know, we got four episodes left, but shit, we'll have at least one or two more good ones. And there's four. Yes, there is. There is at least one great one. And then maybe some other good ones. That I don't remember. Yeah, yeah. So, James, was that all that you wanted to change? I wanted the dreams to be more evocative, to, to develop the characters at least. OK, yeah, I mine was actually kind of kind of related to that, except I wanted to focus on Quark when I figured out the pattern of the characters changing, you know, manifestations of their imagination. I'm like, oh, well, Quark's just going to have it like a couple naked Dabo girls like it was. And then about two seconds, that's what happened. It was too predictable. <laughs> One of my favorite things all season to happen to any of the characters is Rom trying to kill Quark. Mm. How many mm-hmm. episodes ago was that? I don't know. Four or five. That was yeah. That was like the tenth episode. Yeah. That was in the Grand. It was one of my favorite things about the season was was Rom's yeah. botched attempt at, at assassination. And I thought, what if there was like since then some residual effects of that? That Quark in the back of his mind, he was always afraid of being you know offed, so Rom could get. So I would, I to me, having like a Rom be a badass assassin <laughs> making attempts on Quark's <laughs> life the, for the rest of the episode would have been much more interesting than just walking around with two two like half naked Dabo girls. <laughs> that also ties into your theory of Quark, which is that that mo money, more problems, always hustling sort of right fatigue right. of of his life and right. his lifestyle. He's not, if anybody in a Deep Space Nine is not enjoying life, it's right. He's always put upon, because it's, it, you know, heavy is the head yeah. that wears the crown. And all of those rap cliches. All of it, yeah. <laughs> yeah. No, yeah, that, that would be cool. <sighs> That's all I got, fellas. Oh my god. All right. Let's get out of this episode. Yeah, yeah. We got Loxana Troy. Oh boy. And a whole lot of Loxana Troy. Oh my god. In love with Odo next week. Right. Get ready for that, buddies. All right. Well, yeah, I think that's we'll just boat ourselves for that and uh mm-hmm. we'll call it a night then. All, all right. right. All right. Three to beam out. Thanks for listening. Three to beam out. <laughs> Please follow us on Twitter. You are still listening. Okay. And that was If Wishes Were Horses. I think that was a pretty good podcast episode um, for a really bad Deep Space Nine episode. Um, Some of the things that we talked about in this uh, recent episode was the usage of Rumpelstiltskin versus the original idea of using a leprechaun due to Colmini's objection. That is something that I looked up because I wanted to find some actual quotes and whatnot. And as internet research often leads to distractions, I came up across a Reddit post discussing this fact. Um, 
It says, if wishes were horses when the script originally called for a leprechaun, Colmini objected, claiming that this was an offensive stereotype against Irish people. According to Meany, using caricatures or cliches of any nation is not something Star Trek is or should be into. And that's from Memory Alpha. But the top commenter uh, point, made a good point. And who knows, maybe it's one of you all in the listening audience. Uh they said this isn't the first time. TOS, the naked time, the original script called for Sulu to wield a samurai sword. Sword. George Takai, in an attempt to avoid stereotypes, claimed to be an avid fencer. The producers relented. He enrolled in his first lesson that night. I think that's pretty clever. Um, I don't know if it's true. It's not cited. But it does fit with the kind of what we know to be a, a all-male, all-white white writer's room in the 60s, it seems to be <laughs> something that they would come up with. Um, and also, it's a little little bit of a bummer because in the mid-90s, they're still coming up against these, these poor cultural instincts in TV writer's rooms, and that's a little bit of a bummer. Um, boy, James in this episode was, was really upset at the usage of of Tris Speaker over in his eyes, the more I guess famous Honus Wagner, and I kind of objected to that in this episode. Although I didn't push back hard enough, I, I object to it more now. Um, listening to this, I'm like, why am I not pushing them? That's not that weird. Um, I did mention the baseball documentary that had just debuted a few years earlier, trying to make the case that, yeah, Tris Speaker would be somebody people knew. Honus Wagner has a really rare uh, and expensive baseball card. I think that's why he was in a popular consciousness longer. If we go to <laughs> uh, baseball reference... We get to kind of compare the numbers. Tris Speaker had a 134 career war, which is a war stands for wins above replacement. It is what uh, matches you against the field, so to speak, the other players of your era. Uh, And Honus Wagner had a 130.8 war. So Tris was a little bit little bit uh, better in when it comes to war wins above replacements which is a modern day saber metric used to assess a player's complete value to their team I mean if we look at their batting average too Tris Speaker boy he had uh, 10,195 at bats and he was a 3.45 hitter kind of like the robot says at the beginning of this episode that's amazing that being a 345 career hitter uh honus wagner was a 328 hitter at 10,439 at bats i mean that's that that's amazing too where we were just really just splitting hairs but then again just gets the win in that column too 
And lastly, let's look at home runs. Tris Speaker had 117 home runs versus Honus Wagner's 101 home run, home runs. So he even had more home runs. Tris Speaker had a higher war, more home runs, and a higher batting average. By every you know metric about value today, you know, people would say that Tris is a better baseball player. I think that they probably, I think the case could be made that if the show wanted to highlight three players from three distinct eras of baseball, that choosing Honus Wagner would have been a better choice. Because Honus Wagner played entirely in what is considered to be the dead ball era of baseball, which is 1900 to 1919, I believe. Uh, That's, yeah, when Babe Ruth came and hit a league record 29 home runs, which was basically unheard of at the time. Um, Yeah, Honus Wagner played until 1917. Yeah. So, yeah, so 1897 to 1917, that's the dead ball era, three-time MVP, I think. Oh, no. Oh, eighth, second, third came in. But, um, so if you wanted to pick somebody from a specific era, you would pick Honus Wagner. There is a a little bit of overlap. Tris Speaker played in the dead ball era for almost half of his career. That's, I think, maybe it's even... uh, He played the back half of his career. He played 1907 to 1928. He was a little bit younger than Honus, but they played at the same time. It's sort of sort of an overlap comparable to Mike Trout and Derek Jeter. You know, um, they played, you know, Mike Trout will play 10 years later, 15 years later than Derek Jeter, even though they, they would have played. There's some overlap career-wise. So, I don't know. It's an interesting argument to be had. I personally don't think Tris Speaker is that obscure or a bad choice. Uh, and if you, anybody who goes and checks out the baseball reference website, they'll probably might be a little bit surprised to see how much better Honus Wagner was than Tris Speaker. On a lot of people's all-time lists, um, Honus Wagner looms a little bit larger than Tris. But I think it's because Tris played half of his career at the same time Babe Ruth did and Honus was sort of a proto superstar in the in in the fact that he didn't have to he was he had his notoriety without having to be competing with Babe Ruth um, so anyway a lot of baseball thoughts this episode man this was a bad episode to watch and we hashed that out in this episode um i still the guys are always were at this point in the podcast series always going back to how bad move along home is i think move along home has a high camp factor and has a high watchability factor as a result i mean it seems that every time something's on screen it's bonkers or hilarious it's not boring um Compared to like something like this one, which was this one was just a head scratch head scratcher T to B, but um, 
anyway, thanks for bearing with me as I, you know, nerd out over baseball stats and dead baseball players. I didn't even get into Buck Bakai. The, I guess it makes sense that in the future, when transporters are ubiquitous, ubiquitous that the MLB would expand into other countries. Uh, last summer, the Yankees and Red Sox played a series in London. Uh, and there's always at least one international game in Mexico, or at least in the last couple of years, there's been international games in Mexico and Japan. So, I'm, I mean, if the MLB had their way today, if transport technology were available today, the MLB would be uh, an international, even more so than it is right now, uh, league. Because we have the Blue Jays still. So I guess that's what counts them as international. All right. Well, thanks again for listening to the Rules of Acquisition Remix. I hope you join us next week as we go through another (laughs) remix of Star Trek Deep Space Nine uh, for the Kickers of Elves. We believe in you. We know you are better than this. 